0: Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we take a look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and I'm joined by my co-host. I'm Jason Harris, filmmaker, comedian, and I'm cool
1: with the gangsters, the groovies, the religious crowd, the soul crowd, and the hippies.
0: Your intros just get longer and longer uh, each time, I feel like. We're just going to have, I'm Jason Harrison. Here's the plot of this movie that we're talking about. Well, I
1: mean, if I had just said, (laughs) if I had just said gangster in a favela, it would just be like, eh,
0: you know, come on. I'm just. No, do do your thing, man. You know, Josh, I'm a bird. You got to let me fly, baby. I I would never want to clip your wings.
1: I'm a wild stallion, Josh. You got to let me run. Those both could have been intros. Okay.
0: That's just not uh, Bill and Ted's excellent adventure, though. Um, (laughs) So (laughs) in this season of Awesome Movie Year, we've been talking about the films of 2003. And uh, Jason is giving us a little snapshot there of the uh, scene in uh, the film that we're talking about in this episode, which is our foreign film pick. And it is the Brazilian film, City of God, by Fernando Meirelles and Katia Lund, and a massive hit in 2003 worldwide, uh, as well as in its native country, and just like a huge pop culture sensation. I don't know. I think, Jason, you said you were, right before we started, you were looking up some of our previous foreign film episodes, and I don't know, this might be the the biggest like, uh, popular film that yeah. we've done in the foreign... Uh, uh from
1: 96 also might be up there. That was like the number one Czech movie, I think, for 50 weeks in a row. Right. So but here we're talking about uh, City of God from Brazil. 2003 is when it hit American shores. It was uh, released in 2002. But uh, hey, we're taking it as we get it, baby.
0: Right. It was released in 2002 in Brazil. And and I think not only in the US, but maybe other countries outside Brazil, it, it kind of uh, made its way into the wider world throughout 2003. But yeah, it premiered in the in 2002 at the Cannes Film Festival. So that was when it first started to reach that wider audience. And it was uh, a huge hit. I mean, especially uh, in the US and outside Brazil, it grossed $30.6 million worldwide, which is a very strong number for a Brazilian film, for a foreign language film, especially here in the US. Its budget was 3.3 million, so obviously very successful making its money back. Uh, it was in, in 2003, so it continued uh, to to succeed in Brazil all the way through 2003. In that year, it was the top grossing uh, Brazilian film in Brazil. I don't know that it had any uh, big competition, but uh, in terms of local product, it was the number one grosser there. Um, and it was nominated for four Oscars, which I have forgotten about how big it was at the Oscars at the time for, and, and another rare thing at the Oscars for a foreign language film to get a nomination outside of just the, well, what was at that time, the best foreign language film category and is now the best international film, but it was nominated for best director for, uh, Fernando Morales. Uh, for best adapted screenplay, for best editing, and best cinematography. It did not win any of those awards, but just that level of attention, I think, brought it to so many people's attention who maybe would not have heard of it before. But well, you're and
1: overlooking the big point, Josh. Which is all those Oscar nominations, but not a best foreign film nomination. Like,
0: right. Idiocy Weird. on the Oscars, you
1: know, yeah. which we've seen I many s- times before.
0: We have, and sometimes because of the weird way that category works, and I this may be the case for another movie that we've talked about and I don't remember, but sometimes it's the fault of like the government of the country because they have to pick a movie to submit. Um, but that was not the case here. Brazil did submit this movie as their official Oscar foreign language film submission, but it was the Academy who neglected to nominate it. So, oops. Oops, they did it again. exactly right Britney was prophetic Josh she was when she was talking about the Oscars
1: I was shocked (laughs) Uh, I I did look back at the Oscars and I mean uh, I mean I didn't expect it to win I mean look this was the year Return of the King just trounced everybody right but I was kind of surprised that it didn't win cinematography because it is so riveting the cinematography Cesar Charlone and uh, he lost to Master and Commander Russell Boyd, which was a surprise to me. There, I just thought that this was the cinematography was like so unique and lively and and energetic, and um, obviously, you know, worked for the story. I I really thought it should have won that at least.
0: Yeah, the cinematography is great, and I mean, I haven't seen Master and Commander uh, since it was out in the theater, and that is a movie that has a weirdly devoted. Following right now, but um, I'm I'm sure it has nice cinematography. But you're right; this movie it has a very distinctive look too. You watch this, and I think it was it was something that was probably copied a lot after this movie came out. But it it really had its own unique style when it first was released.
1: Uh, I agree with you, Josh. The uh, creativity of the shots and how they added to the story uh, was something that you know every scene had something else. Like I could watch this movie again this week and learn something else by the, um, you know, the framing, the storytelling and the technical wizardry behind this one.
0: Yeah. I mean, and it just it, the glimpse that it gives you, I mean, obviously for us as Americans, more so than Brazilian audiences, but just the glimpse that it gives you into this whole other world that you're not familiar with. And, and the visuals are as much a part of that as anything, because even just what's going on in the background and and the perspective that we're getting of this area that we've never seen before, I mean, it really captures that, even aside from the story. And one thing I really loved was how they kind of changed up the look
1: or the feel, depending on what part of the story they were telling.
0: Right, yeah, as the time period progresses, they, they give it its own look. So, very impressive, um, but of course, it didn't have Russell Crowe, so you can see why. Mm-hmm. Or Russell Boyd. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, there you go. So uh, this movie was widely acclaimed around the world. It was very, very well reviewed uh, by critics. Roger Ebert had it as his uh, number two movie of 2002, actually. So he presumably saw it at Cannes and put it on his list that year, uh, although it wasn't released in the U.S. until the following year. But he was a huge fan. He said, City of God churns with furious energy as it plunges into the story of the slum gangs of Rio de Janeiro. Breathtaking and terrifying, urgently involved with its characters, it announces a new director of great gifts and passions, Fernando Meirelles. Remember the name. The film has been compared with Scorsese's Goodfellas, and it deserves the comparison. City of God does not exploit or condescend, does not pump up its stories for contrived effect, does not contain silly and reassuring romantic sidebars, but simply looks with a passionately knowing eye at what it knows. And I, I know there were a lot of references to Scorsese in reviews, especially to Gangs of New York, which I think must have come out around the same time in the US as this. And and I think those are justified reference points. Uh, Jason, you're the Scorsese uh, expert here. Yeah, I would think Mean Streets and Goodfellas more than that. I wonder
1: though. I'm not saying it exploits, but it definitely gives the gangster. Um, you know, not to say they don't all get their comeuppance, but they are they are treated as heroes. That's the kind of premise of the whole movie. How you know this is the fable of these gangsters, and we're telling it, uh, it over generations. Right, here.
0: right. So, well, what's interesting to me is that that sentiment that Ebert expresses in his review is essentially the opposite. Of what the critics of the movie or the, the people who were negative about the movie expressed. And still overwhelmingly, this is a movie that got positive response from critics and from audiences, but there were definitely a, a handful of people um who were not on board with it. And I think it was exactly that perspective that you were just expressing, Jason, um, about sort of the glorification of this, of these, this uh Milieu, or whatever, or or of of exploiting these characters in a certain way is is what they what they talked about. So uh, and I, I I will get to that in in one moment. Um, but the uh, the next review I have is another positive response. It is uh, Stephen Hunter in the Washington Post who said the movie is conceived as a kind of anecdotal history. It is derived from a huge novel by a survivor, an escapee from the place of one of the world's previously impenetrable, blasphemed zones. It rolls across the decades, charting the rise and fall of petty empires, the brief supernova of gangster superstardom, the overturning of an older order by a yet meaner, more ruthless younger one. These events are lit up here and there by little spurts of recognizable behavior, even love. It is a young man's movie. It adores action, swagger, local color, eccentricity, machismo, stupidity. Marellis just can't stop telling stories, and he can't stop reveling in the goopy mud of bad behavior as it plays out in the swamp of heart and city. So the result is a contradiction, a joyous film about murder. And I think he's getting to that a little, even though this is a, p- a very positive review, but that as much as this movie is entertaining and stylish, you do kind of maybe feel a bit uneasy about what it's celebrating at so- at certain points. I mean, you know, Scorsese,
1: Tarantino, right? David O Russell. We've seen the stylization of gangster movies for probably much longer than that even, right? So, I just I just don't buy into that. This is his way of telling a story and it's our job as an audience like you're not going to go and be like, "Hey, that looked cool. I think I'll go be a gangster now," right? You know?
0: Right. It I don't just, think I, I don't think anyone's saying that.
1: I just think I mean, the look is so much of the appeal of this movie i mean the story i lo- i really like it and i love the kind of intersecting tales that he's able to weave and the unique way of telling those stories but the look really heightens this movie if he went and tried to shoot it like say Gus Van Sant shot elephant then the movie wouldn't be nearly as effective right
0: right and i agree i'm not necessarily with those criticisms and i think one of those things is like you mentioned the glorification or the or Presenting gangsters in a stylish, entertaining way is a long, long film tradition. Going back to Scorsese, I mean, going back earlier than that even. And I think part of this is because we're used to that. We're used to seeing American films about American uh, criminals and and we understand sort of the reality of it versus the the fiction of it. But maybe because we've never seen this uh, particular setting before, as foreigners, we look at it like, oh, this this needs to be some sort of like serious anthropological study because, I, 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 you know, I don't know because it's foreign and it's almost it's almost weirdly condescending to have that perspective because these are just the same gangsters that we see in Scorsese movies or in you know the the rise of around maybe a little earlier than this, like in the '90s of of you know hip hop influenced gangster movies or whatever. It's all. On that same spectrum i think well i think you bring up a
1: good point i would say you're right i think a lot of it is that um the criticism is coming from a place of not knowing you know it's not um you know this takes place in a favela which is historically a very poor neighborhood it's literally the government set up these neighborhoods to kind of move poor people out there so that is a difference between something like this and goodfellas where it's all glamour or casino right Where These guys are racking hundreds of thousands of dollars on their on their moves every day. And, you know, they're in the clubs and in the fancy cars, all that stuff. So but I also think that's what what's so effective is you're seeing this at a street level. Right. You know, and then to go on with that, I think something else that really was showcased in the Benny going away party scene is like just the rhythm, like, you know, Uh, you know, you think of Carnival and the music and the pulsating rhythms and the drums and like there's a rhythm to the way of life there. And I feel like he kind of captured that with the way he shot this. Like there's a musicality to it. And I think we can't deny that. Um, You know, there's a shot where Benny's in, he's kind of bathed in the colors of the Brazilian flag. And I was just like, man, that's just so good. And I don't think many viewers would notice that because as Americans, we're not Really accustomed to that, right? But yeah, I think I think you gotta he really makes use of his culture here in a in a very positive manner to tell these stories.
0: Yeah. I mean, and I think that's why I'm thinking also of not, I mean, Scorsese and, and that kind of stuff, but also uh that 90s wave that maybe was started with like Boys in the Hood and movies that uh were influenced by that, that that did take us into. Sort of the American equivalent of these poorer neighborhoods, marginalized people, and the gangsters that came out of there. And I think, again, we're that's a that's a very uh, well known sort of movie subgenre for us here in America at this point, and it's mostly accepted. And it's just when we're looking at it in a different way, um, you know, maybe we're like, oh, how could they glorify this? But um, you know, it's it's no more glorified than than something like Boys in the Hood, right? And that's why I mentioned Mean Streets because
1: yeah. if you're thinking of the Scorsese movies. Those are like the petty criminals, the street level, the guys who are just trying to get by, right? right. They're not the the bosses or the rich guys. So yeah, we d- we disagree with the uh, with those critiques of this film, and uh, we're standing by it.
0: Yeah. And so uh, actually now the last uh, review I have is the most critical. So we can, uh, you know, get a little more into this. Uh, Wesley Morris in the Boston Globe was very not positive about this film. He said, set in an arid and packed favela of Rio de Janeiro called City of God, the film spans three decades and an extreme body count whose tally rises while your blood pressure is likely to stall. I don't mean to sound blasé or to suggest that if you've seen one pack of young derelict hoods try to assassinate another, you've seen them all. But there's something distasteful in the rote way this film introduces us to two dozen hapless, heartless kids and doesn't care enough to make us feel for them. It would rather doll up the slum and memorialize the trigger-happy thugs infesting it. What ought to be devastating and tragic about City of God is discomforting in its offhandedness. This isn't a movie, it's a soulless pictorial. So I I don't agree, as we were just saying, with that perspective. Although I did feel like watching this movie, that there's such this barrage of characters that it was hard to get a handle on a lot of them.
1: I could see that, that's fair, but I mean, it's based on a book, right? So this is kind of, he's, and we're telling the story across generations. Um, I I think two counterpoints are, Yes, there's a large body count, and a lot of it seems random. Guess what? That's gang warfare, dude, you know? And the other thing is to say that you didn't feel for any of these kids. I just point to that one scene where Little Z tracks down the runts, and he puts the two kids next to each other and shoots them both, one in the hand and one in the foot. And that kid is just crying, thinking he's going to die. And then Little Z makes, uh, I think it was Steak with Fries, my favorite of all the nicknames, uh, shoot one of them, right? <laughs> so he makes another kid go through with it and murder a kid, right? So how I, how I don't know how you can say that wasn't impactful. That was one of the more memorable and um, emotionally wrought uh,
0: moments of the film. I feel like. Yeah, that scene is very uh, intense, and you know, and kind of tough to watch. And I think his point is like you're right that obviously, yes, in gang warfare lots of people do get killed. I think maybe his point is that a movie like this should give you more of a sense of who those people are or so that you can care about them when they get killed. But I mean, if there's dozens and dozens of people getting killed, the movie can't spend time with each one of them and give you their individual personality to make you care. But I I did feel, uh, that scene aside and maybe one or two other scenes, I did feel that like I wasn't that emotionally invested, that this movie was more about sort of like Cool posturing. And the cool posturing is 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 on the part of the characters in a lot of ways. I mean, Lil Zay, for example, is all about, you know, coming off in a certain macho way or whatever. So that's part of the storytelling. But it, it did feel a little surfacey to me at times. And and I I overall I think this is a good movie. Um, but I can see where a little of that is coming.
1: Yeah, but I think that's also, you know, this is um the recounting of Uh, one person's experience in the favela right and even with all that violence he seems to have a very positive reminiscing on it right it does seem like he's telling a fable but like yeah my brother was killed and i should have killed the guy who did it but i didn't and then it kind of worked out for me you know there is a lot of that so um, i can see i can see what you're saying um the flip side to that is it's well what, like two hours and nine minutes and it flies by. Like it feels like a very it does not feel like a long movie to watch.
0: Yeah, I I also felt a little like it was getting a bit repetitive uh towards the end. But um it's not it's not difficult. Like it doesn't feel too long, but I I was feeling a bit okay. Let's let's get done with it, uh a little towards the end. But uh I mean overall I do think it's good. And mm-hmm. so I just wanted to kind of Present that perspective. Another thing that people mentioned, and this goes with the background on, this, on this movie, is you know Fernando Morellis, who had a background in in uh, advertising, and in fact, I believe still is a partner in a big advertising agency in Brazil. And that you know this this has that kind of slick, including the visual style that we talked about as being so great, is that it almost feels like you know it it, it has that advertising advertising aspect. And I think in my review that I originally wrote, I, I which was very positive. I said something that like like it feels like it's a commercial for the slum or something like that. And and that's part of maybe the the tension thematically that you want it to be like exciting but also dangerous. And so I don't know that these are necessarily bad things, but it's it's just yeah. interesting. Well
1: again, you go, I mean, I brought up Mean Streets, right? And you know, we're in um a poorer part of New York City and guys just trying to get by and they love it, you know, and they love that's their life and they love it. So I see what you're saying. We keep mentioning Morellas. But Katya Lunn gets lost in all this, doesn't she?
0: She does. And that's a big thing. And that, that's something that I was interested in in looking into with this film, because she, who is credited as the co-director, and it's very specifically credited as like a film by Fernando Meirelles, who is credited as director, and then she's credited as co-director. But um, she was the one who had the experience shooting in the favelas, who had made documentaries in the favelas. And he recruited her. To kind of give him that sense, you know, him coming from this advertising background and wanting to make a film here, he brought her in as someone who could, you know, speak to that authenticity to some degree. So, I mean, she is a very important part of this who gets kind of forgotten. And I mean, that, that goes along with the legacy of this film and where, where their careers kind of diverged. And of course he was nominated for best director at the Oscars and she was not. Um, but yeah, we have we have to acknowledge that she, regardless of what the credit situation is, she's a huge part of making this movie work.
1: Right, and I I agree with you. It's it's very interesting how uh, I mean she still works, and we'll get you know we'll get to that. She works mainly in Brazil, and you know Morellas is just kind of a worldwide filmmaker at this point.
0: Yeah, and I mean you know not for nothing that he's he's a man and she's a woman. I mean I'm sure that certainly played a little part in it and and what what people get credit for and what people don't get credit for but uh you know we, we should make sure to give her the credit cuz i think she deserves it
1: well i that was why i brought it up Josh. right
0: i mean and obviously I mean, after all these years if she's acknowledged on awesome movie year i mean i feel like that's all she ever really wanted out of it right
1: yeah dave mm-hmm. set up the interview with a lund
0: <laughs>
2: working on it <laughs>
0: So uh, I know, I, as I mentioned, I, I reviewed this when it came out, so I, I certainly saw it in the theater. And Jason, I feel like this is a movie where you're going to tell me that we saw it together and I forgot.
1: I don't, I don't remember. It might have been, this might have been a blockbuster, you know, rental for me. Which yeah. It was definitely one I heard of. This might have been when I was living in LA and we just rented it or who knows. But it was, man, it blew me away the first time. And I really loved watching it again to this time.
0: Yeah, I really like like I gave it four stars, like I said, in my initial review, and I think I was a little cooler on it this time, but I still think it's really good and uh, generally holds up. I mean, I hadn't seen it since I first watched it back then in the theater. So, um, Dave, did you see this when it came out?
2: I'm sure I did, but it's one of those movies that I just really didn't remember much about it, just that I really liked it at the time. And
0: and this
1: would be a cool one to see in the theater with all the. Uh, spectacular oh, yeah. visual elements along with that really great soundtrack, that kind of soul and funk soundtrack that he's got going yeah. across countries, you know, American and Brazilian.
0: Yeah. And I did see it in the theater. I mean, I saw it at a press screening, I'm sure. So um, I, I'm I, that probably contributed to my sense of being impressed with it. Um, you know, that makes a difference in a lot of times. So uh, any other background you want to mention on this, Jason? Yeah, Josh, you mentioned
1: biggest film in Brazil. To, uh, 10.3 million made uh, there 7.5 in the. US um we should mention it is based on a book by Paulo Linz and the screenwriter who adapted it is uh, Braulio Montovani um who uh, his name I'm sure I did not pronounce well there you,
0: you, you made him sound Italian Italian so fellow
2: something <laughs>
0: Braulio Mantovani. yeah
1: Braulio Mantovani yeah I don't know. Okay, you mentioned some of the accolades. Uh, It was the number one of the year from Empire Magazine. Pace Magazine named it the number one movie of the decade. And out of 84 award nominations, it won 55, including a BAFTA for editing, which I think it deserved. And Josh, Las Vegas Film Critics Society, Best Foreign
0: Film, back when Um. you guys weren't a sham. Nice. I don't think I am. I, um, I don't know if I was in the Las Vegas Film Critics Society at the time this has come up now in several episodes for this season. I'm glad yeah. you're keeping up with the Las Vegas Film Critics Society. Someone in, has now, to Nathan.
1: document when it meant something before they let Dave in.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> before they let me in too. So really, you know, at the height of its. Uh, no, no, legitimacy. you weren't part
1: of the downfall. Yeah. Oh, you, were, okay. you were, you were, you
0: were on the level. Oh, thank you. You're okay, Josh. I appreciate that. Well, Although
1: now, since you helped Dave get in, not so much.
0: Oh, my credibility is shot. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, we'll come back in a moment and talk about our general thoughts on City of God. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year in this episode of our season on the films of 2003 we are talking about our foreign film pick City of God by Fernando Meirelles and Katia Lund as we mentioned making sure to uh give her credit as the co-director and we we've we've been talking a lot about already um what we liked about this film and jason i think uh you like it a, a bit more than i do although i like it too and so yeah. What what I mean? What is your favorite thing about this movie? Or we've kind of uh, we know we've covered a yeah,
1: lot. Yeah, I mean, it just got me right away, and I, I mean, I remembered liking it, but I couldn't have told you much about it because I hadn't seen it since my first watching. But I just uh, the word that comes to my mind is kinetic, and it just feels like there's such an energy to it, and it's a very natural energy, and everything pings off of each other, and I just loved it. It just it just felt really good. I like the storytelling. Um, I understand if you feel of certain characters were underdeveloped, um, especially female characters here, you know, but I think in the end, it, it just and I also think like it's a risk to do something like, hey, we're going to go from the late 60s through the 70s through the 80s and tell different stories with different characters and have the same level of effectiveness all the way through, because really it's Rocket, you know, our main character who we see Who wants to become a photographer? And then some of the guys he grew up with. um, You know, you mentioned Little Z and um, Benny, and then Blackie. Right? Those are the kind of the ones he grew up with, and they all went their different ways. But I thought it was interesting from the tender trio at the beginning, all the way through the runs at the end. Josh.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I I did feel like it got a bit. editive, that it tells these different stories, but they're all kind of the same story, which I think is also part of the point yeah. that it's this cycle of violence in the favela. And, you know, at any given moment, there's some big gangster who thinks he's the biggest thing ever, but he just gets replaced by the next one and it doesn't matter and the world doesn't pay attention. Um, but I think from a storytelling perspective, a little, especially in the final segment that's about the war between Lil Zay and uh, Carrot, the other, the, the two rival. Knockout Ned. Uh, right. Knockout Ned and Carrot, who are the other, the sort of rival drug gang. That I felt like I got a little drawn out. Um, and I found myself in that segment being more interested in Rocket, who of course is like the only character in the movie who is a good person and likable in any way. The one who gets out and the one who is a a real person who is partially insp- the inspiration for this story. And I know that's not really what the movie is about. It's about the gangsters and some of, uh, at least one review, I can't remember where, talked about how Rocket was the least interesting thing in the movie. But I guess I just felt like the gang action at a certain point, it just kind of was monotonous in a way. Um, but, I, I, you know, I'm being the critical one here, but overall, I think this is a really good movie.
1: Yeah, And that's fine. I disagree with you that he's the only likable one. I. Understand if you want to say like he's the only quote unquote good guy in the movie. But I mean, Benny is very charismatic and likable. And I think he shows that the character you see that with the character in that he's able to hang out with all those different groups. And I also think Knockout Ned as this kind of like anti-folk hero was an interesting character that you're because little Zed at this point, you're just like, dude, someone take this guy out. Right. You know, so you're rooting for that at that point in time. Um, so I would disagree with you on that part. Um, but yeah, I get it. I mean, it, there's a lot of violence and I, I thought it was done. Each part was done, had its own individual stamp on it. So to me, it was okay. Like it just, it didn't feel like it was repetitive. It just felt like whether it was heightened or the next thing, uh, it worked for me. And, and you're right. Each thing, uh, the story was they, they were telling the origins, right? So when you started with the tender trio, this is how they became that. And this is how little dice became little Zen, you know? So I get what you're saying. Like maybe we went back in time, but since they're all like kind of folk heroes, they all have an origin, which I think was kind of the point of telling the story that way.
0: Yeah. And you're, you're, you're right that, that there are some more characters who are somewhat likable. They may not be, you know, redeemable or whatever, but, but Benny is, is despite being a criminal and at least he you know he gets to a point he has an arc where he gets to a point where he realizes I want to get out of this I want a different kind of life and of course there's the tragedy that he is never able to do that um and Knockout Ned is also sort of a tragic figure who does get out and has a legit job and is on his way to something else and gets pulled back into this world and sort of loses his soul uh in the process so i mean those are those are complex characters um and that's that's what makes a movie interesting um i did feel like in terms of the the sort of folk hero aspect, or the idea of uh, showing all these origin stories, I felt like by the end of the movie, I barely remembered the tender trio or whatever, which is the the first story that that we'd seen this sort of cycle so many times that that I, they'd already sort of left my mind. Um,
1: Maybe that's part of the point, because yeah. you said it's a cycle, right? And it's a vicious and violent cycle, and you know, if we're talking about redeemable, like. That's in our mind as a viewer sitting in our nice middle class neighborhoods, right Like these sure, guys, right. a lot of them have no chance to get out. so it's like I have to do this to survive or you know uh, if I want any type of comfort in my life, you know this is what it takes. So it's tough to it's tough to put those parameters on there. but I, I again, I understand the criticism. I'm just saying for me all that stuff works and I think because that that's part of the the story that's being told.
0: Right, and I think you can draw a line and the, I think the movie does draw a line with some of these characters where it's what you just said that you we see how they have no choice and this is all that they can do. And even Rocket occasionally has to get involved in some illegal activity in order to get by um, versus someone like Lil' Zay who is clearly just a psychopath. and Right, not just to get by. Remember at one point he tried to become a gangster
1: and it went horribly wrong. Like every, every holdup he was going to do He couldn't go through it or or something else happened that prevented him from it. And he realized like, oh, I'm not a gangster, right? But it it definitely crossed his mind at one point.
0: Yeah. And I think it's that he, even as the character in the movie who is most dedicated to not being a gangster and to doing something else with his life, even he is stuck at certain points thinking, this is the only thing that I can do.
1: Yeah. Now, we're talking a lot about the, the violence and the gangster aspect. But I loved seeing the other stuff, too, man. You know, the hippies hanging at the beach was a lot of fun. Uh, uh, Benny and uh, Paolo on their little bike race, you know, was fun. And Benny's going away party is like one of the great party scenes that I remember, like something like a 24 hour party people where you watch it and you're like, man, this is just done so well. You remember it years later. Like, I'm going to remember that scene for a while. I think that was Tragic ending to the scene, but um, really, uh, it showed like a real, just kind of joy and warmth, and and uh, it's unfortunate how it ended, but it showed a real glimpse into um, how a community can come together for someone.
0: Yeah, that is a really good scene. Although I feel like the best thing about that scene—I mean, best or the most uh, riveting part of that scene—is when it turns tragic, and there's this great, like, really tense building of suspense as. As Blackie is coming in to the party, and he's all still bloody from having been beat up, and he's he's out for revenge against Lil Zay, and in the meantime, uh, Lil Zay is is terrorizing Knockout Ned and trying to get at his his girlfriend, and there everyone is converging around Benny, and you know things are gonna even if you haven't seen the movie before. You know this isn't going to end well. You know things don't end well for these characters, really, and especially all, all, also in a gangster movie. Whenever any gangster is like, "I'm going to get out," it's like, well, oh, he's dead." Yeah. Um, so right. you know something's going to happen, but I think the movie really builds that suspense and really keeps you on edge there because you don't know exactly what's going to happen, just something very bad. Um, and it builds and builds and builds until it like explodes in that moment. So I think that's good. As good as the party scene is, that's what's good. As good as the uh, sort of background and the flavor of the neighborhood is, the violence is what makes this movie.
1: Yeah, of course. I'm just saying you can't, uh, there are other elements too that are, it's not all violent, right? It might be 94% violent, but (laughs) the other 6% is pretty good too. But you're right, Josh, that um, first of all, little Zay, you see like kind of just what, you know, he can't get a girl to dance with him. So he has to bully someone else. Right. And it's just, it's, uh, it's cruel and it's sad and it's, it just sucks. Right. And then, like you said, you know, something bad is going to happen, but the way that shot with like those flashes at that point, the the lighting is strobed and everything, which, especially for someone like you who can, who is very uh, adamant at calling people on like, style for just style's sake. Right. That could have right, gone yes. wrong. That could have gone wrong. But you but you're right. It added just a ton of tension and it really led to, uh, uh, you know, uh, you holding your breath, even though you probably knew the outcome you were rooting against.
0: Right. I think that is and that's a, that's a hallmark of a great scene like that, where even if you know what's going to happen and whether you know what's going to happen just because you know what happens in these movies or you actually seen it before, you're still sort of Like you said, holding your breath, like, oh, no, wait, wait, maybe, maybe he's going to get away. Maybe that's not what's going to happen right now, Um, even though it is. And, you know, there's a tragedy, but there's also, if you haven't seen the movie before or you don't remember, you might think like, well, maybe Benny's going to die or maybe Knockout Ned is going to die or maybe Rocket's going to die. I mean, he's so innocent. Right. Right. Well, no, Lil' Zay is not going to die there because he's, he's the bad, he's the invincible bad guy. He can't get his come up.
1: No, but, but that's the point is that like he... He was the one who took out other people to become Little Zay. So someone could have easily have taken him out to
0: become the next crime boss, right? True. I mean, and that does eventually happen at the end of the movie. But I think at that point, that was not what I was expecting. Um, yeah. I would have been surprised. But
1: you probably didn't expect it to go, like you said, from the tender trio over to Little Zay the way that it did right in the middle of a movie, right?
0: Right, right. I mean, I remembered, you know, from having seen it before, I remembered Little Dice, is gonna become Lil Zay and is gonna be this big crime lord, you know, in a vague sense. So I knew that was gonna get there eventually. And and as as scary as Lil Zay is, in a way, the the kid, D- Douglas Silva, who plays Lil Dice, is scarier because he's this like kind of cute kid who just like loves murdering people.
1: Yeah, he's he's it's laughing nuts. and enjoying it. And it's uh it's a little wild over there, a little wild. You have a favorite lil Josh of all the lil rappers out there? You got a favorite lil?
0: You know, uh I am not really a uh listener of hip hop, uh surprisingly. So, um, not a fan I, of Lil Durk? No, see I don't know I don't even know who that's a that's a lesser known lil, I think. I know Lil Wayne.
1: No, um, I think Lil Durk is a huge lil. It's is just he that right you now? don't Yeah, you don't know the lil's right now. You knew Lil John and Lil Wayne. Right. Not Lil Dirk or Lil Peep. Lil Yachty. Oh, you yeah. know
0: what? I do know Lil Yachty because sadly I have seen How High Two starring little L- <laughs> Lil Peep died, I think. Yes, yeah, he did. He did. I think this you're is right. A, this is an important digression we got going. <laughs> I just was wondering if you had a favorite of the Lil's Dave? You know, my favorite my favorite is 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 Lil Dice because he's so scary. I like uh, uh, Lil' little really Kim, scary. even though she's not Lil. Yeah, well, she, she, I feel like we're we're going between little and lil, and these are these are different. It's it's key difference here. It's true. Did you have a favorite
1: nickname? I said I like steak with fries. The, getting back to the
0: movie. That oh was, yeah, that was a fun one. Yeah, yeah, that is a good one, and it's interesting because like of course these are all translated into English, and some of them I was looking just just scanning through Wikipedia, and some of them are translated very literally, and some of them are not, and I thought it was interesting that knockout Ned. And I I didn't realize this, but I think the idea there is that he's a knockout, as in like good looking. Heartthrob, yeah. Right, and I kept thinking of it knockout as in being violent, knocking people out. But either way, that's not. It's it's actually uh, like uh, chicken is yeah, the, chicken manny, right? Right, right. But which which in in Brazil is slang for someone who's good looking, apparently. But um, which I think in in. America, we would think of that more as like a peacock or something, if you want to keep with the bird analogy. But of course, a chicken, as we know of it in English, is not what they're going for there. So it's a weird balance. But uh, yeah, I kind of like that knockout net. It also, it makes him sound like a boxer or something. So well, I yeah, and he was, was, kind
1: of cool. he was, I mean, he wasn't, he was a marksman in the military, like the number one marksman of his unit, right? So they talk about that. The one group we haven't really talked about, although we kind of mentioned it with the runts. Um, which we should at least bring up in that, uh, these gangsters get younger and younger. And then by the time the runts are kind of running amuck in the favela, they're just little kids, eight, eight to 12 years old. Right. And, you know, eventually little Zag gives them guns and that, that was a mistake on his part, you know, but, um, you know, it's, it's, the cycle goes, but now it's younger people taking over and everything.
0: Right. And I think that's the thing with Lil' Dice in the in the earlier segment when he's he's notable because he's the only little kid who's super violent that way. And by the time we get to it being 15 years later or whatever it is by the time the movie ends, it's this whole gang of little kids because that's all they know is how to be violent. And they just kind of laugh and have fun when they're planning about who they're going to kill and which of their rivals. And of course they still have little kid versions of rivalries, but now they're going to go kill these people because of it.
1: They have like a hit list and like their hit list uh, kind of range between like like real gangs and like, Oh, that guy looked at me the wrong way. Let's kill him. Right. You know? Um, So it just shows you how violence is so normalized in, in a lifestyle like that.
0: Right. Right. Um, You mentioned that the female characters in this movie aren't really developed. And I mean, I don't know how much there really is to say. I mean, there's Angelica is the one female character who maybe gets the most amount of screen time and the most of, of a character who is kind of Rocket's uh, crush that he briefly gets to kiss on the beach before she becomes Benny's girlfriend. And then she has a very uh, a tragic moment when Benny is killed. Um, but even she is really just her function is sort of as a as a plot device to move between the male characters. So. I'm sure that's a realistic reflection of the gang life here that there weren't women leading these gangs or or as part of the gangs or whatever. But it's also, especially for a movie co-directed by a woman, it, it does seem to be missing an aspect of that wider portrait of the favela that you're talking
1: about. Yeah, and you know, if you want to go back to Goodfellas, we know the Lorraine Bracco character is a really well-formed character or casino Sharon Stone, right? But I think that Angelica character. It would have been interesting to see what happened to her after all that, right? Because she was this hippie and they were going to go to the farm together and the tragic ending. And and not only that, she couldn't like even stay and hold him as he, you know, died. She had to leave because she was going to end up as a victim of violence. Um, and it would have been interesting to check in with her at the end, I think.
0: Right. I mean, once her sort of function is is done and Benny is killed she just disappears from the movie and we don't see her again.
1: Yeah. Uh the filmmakers do a good job of presenting her as that crush the first time you see her on the beach and Rocket's a teenager and they give you that real sense of like um that teenage uh, that teenage kind of uh, uh wistfulness and longing and you know that kind of desire.
0: Right. Yeah, and uh and and Alice Braga who's the actor she does well with what, what she's given in that small role and clearly was someone that that people were drawn to in this film. Um, the American poster for City of God has uh, the image of her kissing Rocket on the cheek, which is not representative of the film at all, but obviously something that you know marketers or whoever saw as- like She does a, kiss um, him on the cheek, though. The I movie. mean, she does, but it's certainly not like what the movie's about. Hey, Josh, um,
1: speaking of uh, marketing, I loved one of the catchphrases. Uh, which they ran with, which was if you run the beast catches you. If you stay, the beast eats you. I thought that was really kind of uh, telling of of, uh, of the movie without hitting you over the head with it.
0: Right, it gives you that sense of of the the way that people are trapped and no matter what they can't they can't get out and the the lack of choices they have and how remarkable it is that Rocket or the the real guy that Rocket is based on, actually did achieve this level of success. Yeah.
1: And Josh, one thing we didn't say, because we're talking about a lot of really high points of this, we got to give credit, one, to the actors and two, to the directors. Most, like 99% of the cast was not actors. They were locals in the favela, right? So that's pretty amazing to get this level of uh performance out of out of all of them from that little kid who's crying all the way through little Zay I think like they all just hold their own here you know
0: yeah it is impressive and there's there's plenty of movies where they cast in that way with with non-actors that are authentic to whatever the 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 subject matter of the movie is and 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 that doesn't always work out and i think right. you're right you know credit to these actors but also credit to the directors who spent a really long time in workshops with these actors sort of crafting their performances and developing their characters in part inspired, I think, you know, by some of their aspects of their own lives. I was watching just before we started recording the documentary uh, City of God 10 years later, and they have some uh, kind of camcorder footage of the, the early rehearsals for this film from, which are from like 2000. I mean, they spent, I think maybe a year or more just working with these actors to kind of develop them into an ensemble so that they could pull off what's in the movie. So certainly that's a huge aspect. As much as, as, as beautiful as the visuals are, the the actors do bring those characters to life. Yeah,
1: yeah, and we've talked about it. Like, I mean, had this one cinematography or editing, I think the editing's pretty brilliant in this movie, um, then I think those were both deserved. But I mean, I think, uh, yeah, like,
0: g- watch the movie. It's a great movie. It is a really good movie, and as much as I've been like I said, I've been critical of certain aspects of it. Overall, I think this is a really, really good movie. And I'm glad I am glad I got to see it in a theater way back when, and I think it would be a cool thing to see in a theater uh, again someday, because it does have that immersive quality to it with the images that would be great to see on a big screen. So uh, should we uh, rate this one out of five uh, runaway chickens maybe that we see at the beginning and <laughs> that sort of bookend the movie?
1: Yeah, talk about some splice cut editing there, huh? So yeah, uh, it gets four runaway chickens from me. I remember you said you gave it four in your original review, and I probably would have as well. Uh, it stays at four for me. It's just a pleasure to watch.
0: Yeah, I feel like I've gotten stingier with the stars over time. So uh, I'm going to give it three and a half this time. But still, again, very good. Worth seeing. If people haven't seen it, you should certainly check it out. So uh, Dave, how do you want to rate this? I'm going
2: to give it four Runaway Chickens.
0: All right. So a good movie we're seeing. So we will uh, come back then in a moment and talk about the legacy of City of God. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this episode of our season on the films of 2003, we've been talking about our foreign film pick, City of God. And, uh, legacy wise, I mean, this movie was a huge pop culture phenomenon, uh, in around the world, but especially I think in Brazil where it was unique in that there weren't a lot of big hit movies that came out of Brazil at this time. And so this was the thing and it was followed up with this TV series that was set in the same area, uh, with different characters, although with a couple of the same actors, Douglas Silva, who played Lil Dice is one of the main stars of it, uh, called city of men. Um, which was then itself made into a movie called City of Men in 2007. Um, Have you seen any of that stuff, Jason? No,
1: and then to add on to that, City of Men had another sequel, I think also with the same name that lasted another. So the original City of Men was four seasons and then the movie came and then they did another sequel based on that, also called City of Men, that was also two seasons. I would be interested in seeing all of those.
0: Yeah, I saw the City of Men movie um when it came out. I mean, the the TV series is available now, I think, to buy digitally or or and or on DVD. But at the time it, it wasn't shown in the US, but the movie was shown and was sort of marketed here, I think, as like, oh, this is the sequel to City of God. Uh, you know, forget about the show that we didn't bring here. And it came out in theaters here. And I saw it. At least according, I've logged it uh, you know, a date and whatever on Letterboxd, but I remembered like nothing about it.
1: well, I don't I don't know. I knew that the the TV show was a, a huge hit. like it, it averaged like 35 million viewers or something, some crazy numbers. So um, if you don't remember anything about it that the movie, that's probably not a good sign. We know it wasn't the same directors, right?
0: Right. Uh, they did Marellis and Katja Lund directed, I think, some individual episodes of the show. Right but they were not the directors of the movie. I forget who who it was, but right. I mean, and it didn't have the same impact. I think whoever released it in the U.S., I'm sure marketing-wise, they wanted to piggyback on this movie that had been very popular a few years earlier, but it didn't have that level of impact, although it it was generally well-reviewed. And I think I liked it. I just don't remember much detail about it. So... But, uh, well, that's that great, is-
1: Josh. That's Thank really you. good information for our listeners.
0: Right, right. That is available uh, more more easily available to watch here in the U.S. now than the, the TV series is. And as we we're saying, I mean the 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 sort of co director aspect Fernando Moreles, who was already a very successful advertising creative in Brazil, this launched him into this big. Uh, international career that that still exists. I mean, he was nominated again for an Oscar, I think, for The Constant Gardener, which I think is quite a good uh, spy thriller with Rachel Weiss. And uh, just uh, in 2019, made The Two Popes, which uh, I, Jason, I think we saw that movie together. We did not. I've never seen it. Oh, thanks, I saw Josh. it with Dave.
2: That was me. That was Dave. Yes. That, <laughs> that's hurtful
1: uh, to both of us. Uh, I guess. Right. Does, yeah, he's got another one <laughs> coming out called Nemesis, maybe, and then. Joint Venture looks interesting. That's his TV show about kind of marijuana growers in Brazil.
0: Right. And so as much as he's made these Hollywood films, he has retained a foot in Brazil and made that show in in Brazil for HBO. Um, and I haven't seen that either. I think it's available. It was, you know, HBO Latin America, but I think yeah. you can watch it on HBO Max here in I the think US. So. And The Two I Popes, uh, it's okay. Dave, do you want, want to weigh in on it? The Two Popes? It's okay. All right, I, I wanted to give you a chance because I've totally like negated
2: yeah. your existence. No, it was a, it was a, it was a funny movie. I, I just, uh, it, it was surprising that it got as much attention as it did. But I guess you know it has the pedigree of well, you know all these other nominations.
1: Right, Montevane went on to write another major uh, franchise in Brazil, Elite Squad. Oh um, yeah, which uh, I've never seen, but I mean, it's it's there's many, many chapters to the elite squad, I think, or at least yeah. two or three. Yeah.
0: I haven't seen it either, but that certainly was a massive, massive hit in Brazil and worldwide. And the director of at least that first one, Jose Padilla, also went on to do some Hollywood stuff. I think he directed the Robocop remake, I want to say. So that was certainly a launching pad uh, for people there um, in Brazil. And then Katja Lund, as we mentioned, uh, you know, didn't really get the credit Maybe that she deserved for this film. She was not nominated for the Oscar uh, as as best director, and she still works. She does a lot of documentary work, which is what she had been doing before this, and why uh, she was kind of recruited to participate. Um, but it was interesting to me. I read there was an article in the Guardian in two thousand four, at the time that this was nominated for an Oscar, uh, which you know, from the perspective of like, here's this person who was overlooked, and I wrote a quote from her because I thought it was interesting. She said. I know I was there working with Fernando to construct the vision and style of this film. If I was not directing, what was I doing? Mm-hmm. So, you know, she justifiably, I think, was a little resentful to not get this credit.
1: Yeah. And and mm-hmm. I think you probably hit the nail on the head when you wondered if... Uh her being a female had something to do with it.
0: Yeah. And there was another bit in that where she talks about when they went to Cannes and people looked at her as like the babysitter for the kids, you know, the kid stars and, you know, not the director and that there's certainly a, a, you know, gendered perspective going on there. So it's unfortunate, not that Morales, I mean, not to deny him his credit either, because obviously he's very, very talented and went on to direct movies on his own that are good. But you know, the balance. They both deserve awesome. the credit, it sounds. Right.
1: Yeah. yeah. That's, what, yeah. that's what it should be. Um, as for the actors, different levels of success, they all went on to act in other things that, or many of them did. And like you said, I think a lot of them have appeared in City of Men. Uh, Rocket, Alexander Rodriguez. I read, I mean, it was on Wikipedia, but they said he's driving Uber now. So that's kind of a bummer.
0: But. Yeah, it's, it's rough. And As I mentioned, I was watching, I didn't get through through all of it, but I was watching the City of God 10 Years Later documentary, which is is already now like nine years old, but even, even in that, and they're catching up with a lot of these actors and some of them, like you said, are doing, you know, are having decent acting careers in Brazil, but there were quite a few of them, uh, especially some of these actors who played really small parts, um, who had been arrested, who, you know, cause they lived in the favela and this was their life and they just kind of went back to it. Right, um, there was
1: one that they couldn't track down if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, maybe I haven't gotten it's. to
0: that part yet. Yeah. But, and there's a really kind of ironic moment where uh, probably uh, e- either Alice Braga or Seu Jorge, or however you pronounce his name, which I'm sure I'm mangling, are, are the most successful ones to come yeah. out of this. Jorge who played knockout Ned, And in this documentary, he's staying in this fancy hotel because he's performing this huge concert because he's a musician is what he's known for more than as an actor, although he's successful as both. And in the hotel, working as like a bellboy is the kid who played the kid who got shot in the foot. And they have this moment together. Yeah. Wow. Wow.
1: Oh, yeah. Seo Jorge is like a pop samba icon out there. Yes. Sounds like right. And Alice Braga doing really well, with Queen of the South on Netflix.
0: Yeah. And she's been in a ton of blockbuster movies. She was just in new mutants. Um
1: yeah. And some very well-regarded Brazilian movies, Lower City and Cabeca Premio. So I've not seen either of them, but um, yeah, she like she like you said, she makes the most of her screen time and you could you could see she's got more in her, right?
0: Right. Right. And she's really, I mean, she went from this to I am legend with Will Smith and really just her career took off. And, and say Jorge also, I mean, he is mainly known as a musician, but he does act. I just saw him in some random tiny American indie film about uh, a, a a Jewish kid who becomes a chef. Um, and he's like the chef, the kid's chef. Mentor. What's that called? It's called Abe with one of the kids from uh stranger things. It was all right. Um, And of course, I mean, Jason, I don't know why you, you didn't want to mention Wes Anderson. You know, one of the biggest things that Seo Jorge is known for is being in the Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou and doing all these Portuguese language covers of David Bowie songs. I mean, I think that introduced him to American audiences as much as City of God did.
1: And honestly, I would just listen to an album of him doing Portuguese covers of David Bowie songs and be happy with that. I'm sure you could.
0: I'm sure that exists. But yeah, that's quite a moment. It's a, Like I said, I didn't get all the way through it, but it's an interesting, it's very basic. It's just kind of like, here's this person and what they're doing and here's this person and what they're doing. But the contrast, you know, of the levels of, of success and, and where the people are in their lives, um, is kind of interesting. They talk about how little they all got paid because of course, no one knew that this was going to be a major hit. And, um, Alexander Rodriguez, who you mentioned later on, uh, maybe driving for Uber and is, Really, the main star of the movie, as Rocket, he said that he was offered the chance to have a percentage of the box office and turned it down. And right,
1: right. Mm -hmm. I think that happened with Little Z too.
0: Yeah. So, uh, but you know, interesting uh, kind of footnote to check out uh, related to this. And uh, yeah, any other uh, legacy things you want to mention here?
1: Well, I think the other thing is, like you said, it's it's influential in that. you see a lot of movies that kind of mimic the either the style or the um, the color plates of it, and you know just kind of the rhythms of it. And you know we've mentioned Scorsese. I also think of Steven Soderbergh. You know, with something like Traffic, you uh, kind of washing out those colors there. But um, yeah, it's just go watch the movie. It's great.
0: Yeah, it is. Uh, it is is quite a good movie. And uh, on uh, HBO Max at the moment that we're recording this. So if people want to check that out. And uh, that's City of God. And that is this episode of Awesome Movie Year. Check us out on social media. Social media, guys. We are at
1: AwesomeMovieYear.com. AwesomeMovieYear on Instagram and Facebook. AwesomeMoviePod on Twitter. I'm at uh, Jason Harris Comedy on Facebook and Instagram. Jay Harris Comedy on Twitter. My website uh, could be murdered in a slum. Go for Jason.com.
0: Yeah, mine wouldn't be far behind. Josh uh, JoshBellHatesEverything.com does have some stuff there. Check it out, maybe. Also, Josh Bell Hates Everything on Facebook and at Signal Bleed on Twitter. And you can listen to our producer, David Rosen's awesome podcast, Piecing It Together.
2: Check out piecing it together wherever you listen to podcasts and you can follow us on social media at piecing pod. And don't forget to check out our produced by David Rosen, Patreon that combines content for piecing it together. Awesome movie year, my music career, and uh, maybe a bunch more as we continue to grow some more subscribers.
1: And Josh. Dave is ripping us off on the Patreon, much like the filmmakers ripped off Rocket
0: in this film. <laughs> He's not, not giving it a, us a cut of the box office. <laughs> our, we do still have, if you haven't checked out our uh, 1984 bonus episode on Purple Rain, that's available on Patreon. Um, you know, give that a listen. And give a listen to our next episode. What are we going to talk about, Jason?
1: Josh, it's my pick from 2003. I think... Uh... A movie with big stars that might have been overlooked and a big director.
0: And it's called Matchstick Men. So tune in next time for Matchstick Men. And thanks for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Thank you for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Make sure
2: to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. And if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts.